Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. So today, I want to revisit something. I want to talk about Linux on ARM, but specifically the kind of stuff that Pine are doing, maybe Raspberry Pis. I've got in my hands the Pocket PC from Popcorn Computers. And with the exception of the Raspberry Pi, none of the end-user ARM Linux devices that I have have got finished operating systems for them. Everything is a work in progress. And I'm worried that it's going to stay like that for an awfully long time. I saw two articles recently that made me think even more about this. One was on Drew DeVault's blog. It's called Pine64 Should Reevaluate Their Community Priorities. And another is on Lilliputing, and it's called Test 15 Different PinePhone Operating Systems with Meggie's latest multi-distro demo image. There's one more too. LWN just covered it yesterday. So Dalton, you up until recently were very much in the trenches of this. So does this criticism seem fair to you? Yes and no. So yeah, 15 different operating system images, none of them being quite good is, I mean, it, it can seem like a problem. It's not a significantly different problem than we have on non-ARM PCs. Distros are a dime a dozen at this point. Yes, but you install Ubuntu on a laptop or Fedora, and broadly they're going to work very well. And no one's released those for, yeah, I get it. At least not an officially supported one. Well, yeah, but even smaller distros are generally going to work better than with ARM devices. True. So... The big problem with ARM, and I don't think it's any big secret at this point, is a complete and utter lack of firmware for the devices. I mean, there's always the problem of there's not enough time to build drivers and all of that, but even if there are drivers for all of the hardware in an ARM device, or just most of it, you know, like your PC, you have drivers for most of the things and you don't notice the rest. Not having firmware that tells Linux, hey, stupid, this is all the hardware that's attached to the CPU, use it, is a significant problem. And that's something that the PC has had all the way back to the IBM PC with the BIOS, which was a standardized interface, so any software could just go on any compliant IBM PC and just work. Minus all of the bugs and the BIOSes and IBM suing anyone who copied the code directly instead of writing their own. That's the big problem with ARM. There's no centralized, standardized firmware available for these devices. And of those that are, they're either difficult to install. In the case of Toboot, it is getting way easier for Pine64 devices. Or it just doesn't exist at all, like for the Raspberry Pi. Well, it's getting there, but, you know, it's just not there yet. If we had this kind of thing, if we had an EFI-compliant bootloader and either serving up the device tree or something like ACPI to tell Linux, hey, stupid, this is all the things connected to the CPU, we'd be a lot further off. It'd be a lot easier to make distros, and distro makers wouldn't have to deal with the firmware like they do now, which they're categorically pretty bad at. And I speak from experience because I had to deal with the firmware, and I'm categorically bad at it. <laughs> so should the vendors, or you know, the device manufacturers, be doing more to write firmware for these devices and upstream it and allow the distro makers to just say make a distro where they don't need a custom kernel with a ton of patches and to write the firmware just in order to get something to boot on the device. 
because you end up in a situation like you do with, for example, I owned a Pinebook Pro and there were 20 distro images available for it, but none of them worked particularly well because the distro maintainers were having to do a ton of stuff that they wouldn't have to do if they were just building a distro for a standard x86 PC. And I can't help but think if you've got 20 distros that are all having to implement this stuff themselves, that's a ton of wasted effort that really should be done by the device manufacturer. It could be, right? But the thing with Pine64 specifically is that it was built to sell cheap devices to developers originally. So, you know, hey, there's this unserved market of people who don't have a lot of money but want to hone their skills on ARM devices. Let's make them in consumer form factors so they're convenient to carry around. You know, they kind of do a proof of concept thing. It looks the part, even if it isn't quite the part. And we'll sell them really cheap so that people can get into the industry and make better things. But there's kind of a mismatch of customer there, because as the Pine64 customer base has grown, most of the people buying it aren't developers who just want something cheap that they can develop their next hardware on. It's people who want a phone. They want to say, hello, Mr. Pine64, please give me a phone with software like Samsung does. And the product is this entire combination. But the incentive model is still set up for like the original way Pine64 operated rather than this new thing that it finds itself in. But I don't necessarily think that's clear to the kinds of people who are buying the device because all over the internet, people are complaining that they've gone and spent $250 on a Pinebook Pro and three years later, there's still not a usable OS image for it. And I don't necessarily think that that's any one person's fault, but there is a real problem there when a device has been out for three years and there's still not an operating system that's usable day to day. People like us who, I guess, like to mess with computers could probably make it work. But ultimately, I could go and buy a 250 quid x86 laptop and have a much better experience than I ever would with the Pinebook. Mm -hmm. I've said similar things to people in the Pine64 community. It can get a little spicy when you mention things like this, but I, I don't think that anyone is like, no, you're wrong. That is absolutely not a thing. It's more like we need to better set expectations and tell people this is what you're getting. Of course, then you end up with the problem of that could significantly impact the base of customers. Yeah, I think that's a real problem. I do fear that the continued development of products is being funded by the average user buying it and hoping that they can use it as a low-power, long-battery-life ARM device. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've got these companies making the devices and just assuming or hoping that the community will make all the software for them for free. I know that Pine does pay Banjaro a little bit, but there's not that much money floating around here and most of the effort is volunteer effort. I think also, you know, especially when I was reading the the Drew DeVault blog, the the thing with the Pine phone, which is difficult because I take on board what Dalton says, like if you go back to how these devices were being sold and produced and shipped everywhere, the idea is that a lot of it is about being a development device or development boards. But even so, if you're going to take it from a development perspective, and I know this isn't easy, by the way, but it is a Pine 
phone. So for me, I definitely agree that the hardest thing, you know, you pick the lowest hanging fruit. So you can come up with a different, uh, you know, environment, different graphical perspective, different design. But fundamentally, the device is a Pine phone. So I know it's hard, but you want to try and get the phone bit working. And I know that smartphones these days, people make phone calls less than doing other things that don't require the telephony. But one of the things, you know, I haven't got a Pine phone, but I've been playing with Postmarket OS. However far the devices get, I still want to be able to put one in my pocket that can make and receive phone calls because sometimes I really need that and it's really important. So that's what's difficult. Now, obviously the baseband in terms of a concept is incredibly historically difficult in terms of firmware and making that work. And I know that there was criticism of the Pine phone not being open source and it was incorrect. There was, you know, pushback against that. And I think uh, there was a couple of blog posts which kind of clarified that. But if more heads could be put together for things like that, where fundamentally the, the, the main number one thing in the list of the device, get that working and then branch out to the other stuff. To come back to what you started off by saying, Chris, about the Pine 64 boards being development boards and, you know, the stuff that they build being aimed at developers. Is the Raspberry Pi not a development board? Because it serves the same purpose as a lot of those Pine 64 boards, but they ship it with a reference OS that, although you know, has had its issues in the past around security and has been you know filled with controversy, but when I put the reference OS, Raspbian or Raspberry Pi OS, whatever you want to call it this week, on an SD card and boot the Raspberry Pi, I get something that resembles a usable Linux computer. Whereas with something like the images that come for the Pine boards, I don't get something that feels anywhere near as polished or usable. I think it's because it occupies a slightly different position, doesn't it? Because from my understanding, the relationship that Eben Upton has with Broadcom has helped that to start with. And the way that it's taken off, I think maybe even took him by surprise. But if you look at all of the other clones, you know, if you think about the Explaining Computers channel, which I'm a big fan of, for example, Chris Barnett covers what historically has covered loads of these boards from like, you know, Orange Pie, uh, Radser, all of these companies. Insert fruit name pie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the problem there that you've got is that he always says the same thing. I had to get an OS image from a forum post and now it's a 404 and he'll revisit an SBC and he'll be like, well, it doesn't work now. And there just hasn't been the convergence of lots of them sit in drawers, admittedly, but I'm not quite sure whether we can classify it as fully a development board. I think the Raspberry Pi is more of a hybrid educational device that has taken on this life of tinkering and IoT and loads of other stuff. It is quite a success story. If you look at the Raspberry Pi imager and the choice of OSs, I've used a number of them and they work really well from whether it's, you know, retro gaming through to the just enough OS stuff like um, Libra Elect for Kodi through to, you know, Raspberry Pi OS is, uh, because the hardware was quite weak, you weren't going to use that as a desktop machine on the, on the daily. And I still don't think it's there, but they kind of stick out a little bit because they are a bit different and it's not, they're not the same as the rest of the landscape that we're talking about, I don't think. Well, it's money. 
it's all about money. They've sold millions of boards and they can afford to employ someone full time to work on the OS. Yeah, that's that's just it. Because even though Pine64 does get Manjaro and... I mean, full disclosure, Pine64 did give UbiPort's foundation money, and it was enough to hire a full-time developer for a year. Like, it's not small, small numbers, but it's also not enough for exactly what they want to do in the end. I mean, you look at an iPhone, and even if you're getting the iPhone SE after you add on Apple Care, Apple One, paying 30% tax on all of your apps, Apple is seeing, you know... every two years for that phone. You're talking about paying 150 bucks one time, and the money just isn't there for the innovation that you want to see. Especially if we talk about, you know, Pine64 directly hiring employees or contractors even to work on firmware or, you know, making the devices better checked before they go out. You can't have a $150 phone and get the things that you want there, too. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, it's a real chicken and egg problem, because until the phone can make phone calls and is usable as a daily driver, it's probably not worth more than $150 to a lot of people. But in order to make it worth more than $150 to a lot of people, it needs to be able to make phone calls and do all the other stuff. How do you explain the Pine Phone Pro then, which is $400 plus your tax and shipping and all of that? Maybe it's the egg coming before the chicken in that way. It's saying, here's this thing. I don't think that Pine64 expects to sell as many Pine Phone Pros as they sold Pine Phones, right? But it's saying, you know, here is a useful amount of money. What can we do with this compared to the Pine Phone? Yeah, and you're getting a lot more hardware for it, but at the same time, I'm not going to spend that much money on something that is essentially a toy. Well, it depends how much you believe in them as a company and their ability to ship something that's going to be useful. You're making a forward investment in the Linux phone ecosystem if you make the assumption that they're going to take two of that $400 and use it to fund the development of Manjaro for the phone, say. It's difficult, isn't it? It depends where you see the final position of it. As you said there, Gary, I was thinking in my head about where is its final position? Is it just enough that those of us who are like us, if you see what I mean, will want to buy it and that is enough to sustain it? Or are they ever going to go hell for leather and look at what happened to Microsoft when they did that? Like, they just, it was David versus Goliath and didn't end <laughs> in the way that that did. David versus two Goliaths. Well, exactly. And it's, I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? Is it possible for a device in that particular market of technology to exist in an incredibly thin slice niche and sustain a life? I'm not so sure. I'm convinced because I'm with Joe there. Like when you say, Gary, you're kind of investing in the idea. I look at the Pine phone and I'm like, it's really cool, but that's about it. Like, I don't, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'm not criticizing the idea of it in the long run. I'd love to be proven wrong. But the way I look at it in 2022 is I can't see it moving forward. It's just going to be in this kind of perpetual state of, oh, this is quite cool. And maybe one day it will be viable, but I'd love to be proven wrong on that. 
Yeah, I think the problem is when you start getting to the $400 range is if I've got $400 and I want a device that I can actually use, I can buy a Pine phone or a mid-range Android phone or go and buy an iPhone SE or a refurb iPhone 8 or something and get much more use out of that $400. So it's a difficult sell. You have to really, really want to invest in that ecosystem. But what price is your freedom? (laughs) Uh, Probably significantly more than $400, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of the thing, isn't it? Someone's going to have to figure out how to actually make money off of this. And at this point, we haven't seen anyone who can do it. Because, I mean, at this point, you can spend $180 on Apple One or you know, around 240 ish dollars a year on the same services from Google. And we're having trouble getting people to donate $5 to an open source project yeah. to call back to another episode of ours. Like the money just isn't there. And we're going to need to have someone who is not only a good developer, but a good marketing person and a good business focused person to be able to create something that is both profitable and open source we need money but one thing that we have is enthusiasm and goodwill and community we have a bunch of people who want this to happen and who have been willing and will be willing to put in effort to make it happen because software freedom and the freedom of choice to put whatever operating system you want on your own hardware is important to us and important to a lot of people And so it feels like we just need all of that goodwill and enthusiasm to be sort of funneled into the right project and we could get somewhere. We're never going to compete directly with Android and iOS, but we could get to a point where we've got something that is, is usable and allows you to have the freedom that we all deserve. I think we all just do need to pick a horse and back it as a community. And if we do that, I think there is enough goodwill and enough want for this to succeed. And there are things coming out of the Pine64 community right now. For example, the Toboot project is an opinionated distribution of U-Boot that fixes all the firmware problems that I was talking about earlier. And as far as I'm concerned, that's step one to getting distro maintainers actually on the way to making something really good with this hardware. So we're getting somewhere, even if it is a little slow. Well, we better get out of here then. Do let us know what you think. Show at linuxafterdark.net. And also thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. We'll be back in two weeks then. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.